Pete Palmer is an American sports statistician and encyclopedia editor. He is a major contributor to the applied mathematical field referred to as sabermetrics. Along with the Bill James Baseball Abstracts, Palmer's book, The Hidden Game of Baseball, is often referred to as providing the foundation upon which the field of sabermetrics was built. Good afternoon. I would like to welcome the legendary Pete Palmer to our Statistic Hub podcast today. Pete, welcome, and thank you for doing oh, this. Oh, sure, I'm fine. I'm glad, glad to do it. Well, I, I, I know you're, you're technically retired, but it sounds like you've been staying pretty busy with your analytics work based on some of the emails you sent me last night. Uh, you got a lot of interesting projects that you're still working on. Could you give uh, the listeners some insight on that? Oh, yeah. Well, um, the encyclopedia business is pretty dead because of the Internet, but the Internet is helpful. I've been uh, doing a lot for sports reference or baseball reference, which is really terrific site and uh i'm also helping dave smith and tom Lorraine on uh retrosheet which is utterly amazing they have played by playing our every game back to 1941 and uh, thousands of games before then and uh they've got box scores back to 1904 now and uh it's really amazing what those guys are doing what kind of work are you doing with RetroSheet? Are, are, you, are you just analyzing the statistics, or are you creating derivative databases from that project? Well, basically, I use the data a lot, but I also, uh, every once in a while, I go in and uh, do some checking and see uh, if I can find anything. Uh, it's really hard because when you're doing the play-by-plays, the sources are not official and the, the numbers don't always agree with the official stats but they come pretty close and uh you know if you dig a little you can maybe make a correction here and there but uh, actually uh i i don't contribute nearly as much as uh, guys like tom moraine and and others uh all the um the helpers they have dick kramer is doing a lot of stuff on it he's working in 1899 for box scores right now and uh, I can't really keep up with it but uh, it is a terrific resource when you wrote the hidden game of baseball back in 1985 one of the things you you kind of looked at you looked at Ty Cobb you looked at some stuff around Nolan Ryan what what intrigued you about those particular players in general, did you suspect something was wrong with what were considered the current statistics about those players at the time? Are we just fascinated with their story? Well, I, what I tried to do, the first thing I did was uh, I looked at the team runs and scored and runs allowed and comparing that to wins and losses. And um, I discovered that uh, Ten more runs for a team will produce about one more win. Or if you reduce your opponent's runs by ten runs, that would be a win also. And so that gave me the idea of looking at individual performances and trying to relate them to runs. In other words, you have batting average, but uh, that's only one thing. And uh, 
but slugging is important. And uh, Kramer and I came up with uh, on-base time slugging back in the 70s for Sabre, which really wasn't a new invention. But uh, there was a guy named Earnshaw Cook who did a book in the 60s uh, who uh, had had done that and other people along the way. But anyway... Um, in 1978, I sort of converted to on-base plus slugging. Not that it was more accurate, but it was just so much simpler to calculate. And uh, it's just about as good as on-base time slugging, which you need a calculator for. And for on-base plus slugging, you just look at the two columns and add them up. And... Um, that correlated very well with runs for individual players. So uh, you could take his stats, go through. Um, well, I I also developed a linear weight system, which was uh, giving so much points for a home run and uh, so much for a single, and so much for an out, stolen base and stuff. But if you if you take that value and compare it to on-base plus slugging, there's a very high correlation. So that way I could predict, uh, you know, if a player was plus 30 runs for the season, he would add three wins for the team or for a pitcher if he was minus 30 runs uh, compared to the league average. And so that allowed me to relate individual performance to team performance. Um, and, uh, that, that was the main part of my original research back in the sixties and seventies. And luckily I, uh, being a Sabre member, I met John Thorne at one of the meetings back in the early eighties and he had the idea for the book and I'm a statistician and he's a writer. So we made a good team. <laughs> ah, ah, he was the storyteller. <laughs> well, he he was putting all my stuff into words that people could understand. <laughs> I gotcha. You need people like that. Oh yeah, yeah. So, like I say, it worked out great. And uh, I, I, you know, the uh, University of Chicago uh, put out a, re a reprint a few years ago, and I think it it's really. Uh, it's still a timely book, even though it's 35 years old. Well, I, I was able to get a used copy about three years back uh, off Amazon, which kind of inspired me to reach back out to you. And what, what's fascinating to me, and this is what I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, is the hidden game of baseball is essentially this game of baseball driven by data and statistics. And that's a 35-year-old concept but it seems like over the last five or six years, teams are just waking up to the importance of that. Does that kind of surprise you or frustrate you or both? Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, they have a very traditional outlook. So uh, uh, they, they really weren't statistically oriented that much. But when the athletics, uh, Billy Bean uh, came along, they had to make do with less money. So what they had to do was try to figure out who are the players that are valuable but not known to be valuable and then try to 
get those guys and uh, compete with a you know a fifty thousand million dollar payroll when other people are having a hundred or hundred and fifty or even more, and uh, they really, they have been able to do it pretty well, although the other teams are catching up. But you know, one thing that I wondered about, uh, I the salaries are so high now. I looked at all the players from uh, 2019 they were making $20 million or more, which is a, a lot of money. I mean, if you look at it, the, the pitchers were getting a million dollars a game, which uh, sort of seems kind of high. <laughs> but anyway, if you look at all these $20 million players, on average, they contribute about one and a half wins above average to their team, which uh, that's it. Which doesn't seem like much for your much bang for your buck. And I'm wondering yep. if the owners really realize that no matter how much they play a guy, it's very unusual for him to contribute contribute more than three wins above average during a season, and in fact, it'll probably be less. If you're not Mike Trout, three or four wins is the most that anybody can contribute in a year. I mean, they might go four or five on a good season, but for a, uh, a continuing career record, uh, four or five wins is just maybe just a handful of players. And Mike, Mike is good for seven, and He's clearly the best player in the Mets League. Of course, Babe Ruth and yeah, Ted Williams used to be able to do ten back in the old days, but the uh, well, that's what the, the, that's what their WAR calculation would have been. Yeah, well, WAR is wins above replacement, uh, which I don't like. My system is wins above average. So, it, oh, okay. if you want to do okay. WAR, you just add a couple. In other words, a typical okay. average player under war will be two wins above average. Oh, I forgot you also came up with that uh, metric as well. Oh well, I didn't do it's war, one. but uh, you 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 did you did, win, you did the WOA right? I'm sorry. You the metric you're talking about. Wins, wins over average. Yeah, wins over, about, if you go to Baseball okay. Reference, they've got them both on there. They they don't do it exactly the way that I do, but they add up pretty close. When when you published the book, what was the reaction from the baseball community? Did a lot of people reach out to you for insight? Uh, was or was everything pretty quiet? No, nobody, yeah, it was pretty quiet. It. I mean, it was it was interesting to the fans, but I'm not sure uh, how much impact it had on the on the game itself. You know, uh, John Dewan, who was a Saber member, who uh, was running Project Score Sheet for years, and then he sold out the stats, and now he has his own company called Baseball and. For solutions, and he developed the uh, idea of shifting being ve very underused. And um, he had he, among all us, 
statisticians, I think, has had more effect on the way the game has been played than anyone because the, he figured that they had to shift many, many more times than they actually are doing it, and the, the teams kind of picked that up. And, uh, you know, I mean, all the stuff I've done, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if Billy Bean ever read Hidden Game of Baseball, but uh, I don't think it's had a great impact on the game. But you, you would have to agree, it is probably the foundation for sabermetrics research, would you, would you think? Could, could you at least give yourself quite a bit of credit? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, okay. I always give Bill James a lot of credit because he showed there was an he, – he started doing baseball abstract in the 70s, and he was uh, self-printing it, and he ended up getting a contract. He got a nice article in Sports Illustrated. And he was selling 100,000 books a year. And without that, I don't think uh, there would have been an audience for our book. So I really give Bill a lot of the the major part of the credit for the development. Uh, He's a much better writer than I am. so. (laughs) So, but, you know, he was really the guy who did it. And, uh, but as I said, he showed there was an audience out there which made it possible for us to publish our book. When you, I found it interesting, you got started with baseball, kind of as a baseball research analyst back in your days at Raytheon, and it, it, you, were, you were able to get access to the mainframe. You were able to, it sounds like, put together data, load your punch cards, run some programs, and do some uh, kind of basic analytics way back. Um, can, can you talk to everybody? I, I still remember my mainframe days, so I was fascinated that you or, or even Raytheon was able to let you use that mainframe time and, 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 and start your work. Well, you know, it was, it was a dedic- it wasn't a, like a computer that was available to the whole company. It was a dedic- dedicated computer that simulated a uh, radar site, um, out on the end of the Aleutian Islands. The Aleutian Islands happened to be near the Kamchatka Peninsula where the Russians test their missiles. So uh, it's actually over the, it's over the 180th parallel, but they, the, the International Dateline has a little jog there, so they're on the same time as everybody else. But anyway, that was... Uh, what I was working on. So we had a dedicated computer for that project. And uh, if it wasn't being used for that, I could use it for whatever I wanted to. And uh, my main uh, project there was really just data, Uh, developing uh, my major league database, which ended uh, ended up at Baseball Reference. And MLB got a copy, and uh, almost all the websites started with that uh, with that database, which uh, my friend Sean Lehman uh, pirated a copy of a Total Baseball uh, CD that we put out in 1992 and put it on the Internet and made it available to everybody. So that worked out well. Uh, but for the analytical part, I didn't really get into that 
until a little, I started just compiling the data, and then uh, in 1969, uh, there was a book published called Player Win Averages, which uh, was Eldon and Harlan Mills, who were a pair of brothers. One was a professor and one worked for IBM. And they came up with the idea of developing a model of win probability if you take the number of outs and the runners on base and the score in the inning, you can get an idea of what the probability of the team winning the game would be. And then if you're the batter and you come up with the runner on first and the team probability win is 53%, say, and you get a single and knock the guy to third and now it's gone up to 58%, then you get 5% increase in win probability. And if you add that up over the course of the season, you can get a rating for each player. And, you know, uh, the guys would vary. Most people would be plus or minus one or two wins, and some people would be, as I was saying before, three or four above or below. And so I said, gee, that's pretty interesting. And I, I punched up all the data for 1969 and tried to compare the regular stats with the player win averages. And uh, the, the, the linear weights thing kind of developed out of that. But when I did it, I said, well, gee, this isn't too hard, you know. So I started working on more years, and I ended up with like 100,000 punch cards uh, covering the entire history of baseball. And uh, so that got me started on the database. And then I started thinking about the other things, like the runs per win and the linear weight stuff. And um, the using the win probability chart allowed you to evaluate strategy because if you ever run on first and one out and you can say, well, let's see, let's say he's going to try to steal second. Well, so that means two-thirds of the time he's going to be on second with one out and one-third of the time the bases are going to be empty with two out. So you you can mathematically evaluate uh, all the various different strategies, bonding and stealing and uh, squeeze plays and stuff. And uh, so that was a useful tool. Peter, you still there? Yeah. Okay. I'm I, sorry. I, did I lose you, you there somewhere? <laughs> yeah. Just, just for a second. Keep going. I, I was scared there for a second, but okay. Keep going. I'm sorry. So anyway, that was uh, that was the uh, the win probability. And so I wrote my own program. The count they didn't actually publish their win probability data. They just published the results. So I had to write a program to generate the win probability, and I could use them for myself. And uh, that you know that was uh, it was uh, quite a bit beyond batting average for uh, evaluating players. For instance, uh, one of my favorite stories was, uh, you remember Gene Tennis, who was a catcher for the Oakland uh, Athletics in the 70s? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes. He had a lifetime batting average of about 240. But uh, 
when Bill James published his uh, historical abstract, which is a terrific book, uh, he developed. Uh, there was a fellow named Neil Monroe who did his his some of his computer work for him, and they came up with a method of rating players a sophisticated one, sort of like linear weights. Anyway, I decided to check uh, how Gene Tennis worked in that system. And here's this guy with a 240 lifetime batting average who actually at the time was the best hitting catcher in the history of baseball. Oh, really? How did he do that? Well, he got a lot of walks and he got a lot of home runs. So although his batting average was very low, his on-base was slugging. On-base plus slugging was terrific. So I sent Bill a letter because I, he he outlined the procedure that he rated Mickey Cochran and Bill Dickey and uh, Roy Campanella and Johnny Bench and all these guys. And uh, I used exactly the same method as he did on tennis, and he came out as the best hitting catcher of all time. Now, I think that Mike Piazza probably had... Uh, Surpassed him, but he had he hadn't started his his career at that point. So, so uh, yeah, it was intriguing to look at these guys who who basically one of the things Bill developed was secondary average, which was giving credit for walks and extra bases, and it it's a uh, addendum to batting average, but it's more a combination of batting average and secondary average, which is really sort of the same thing as on-base plus slugging, um, gives you a much better idea of how good a player is. And then I did a lot of stuff on uh, park factor because uh, it can make a big difference, especially, uh, you know, like Conway Park was a... Uh, good park for right-hand batters. And uh, so the Red Sox always used to overrate their batting and underrate their pitching. But uh, I, um, Joe Croner was president of the American League and his office, I, I, I lived in Lexington outside Boston and the office was in Boston. So they had microfilm of every, uh, all the stats back to 1905, what you would have is a player sheet, which had each game listed on it for the season. And um, I happened to be in the, I used to go in there and look at the microfilm, and I was in there one day, and Tom Manahan, who was the uh, PR guy, had a pile of microfilm on his desk. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm making a copy for the Hall of Fame. So I said, uh, can you make a copy for me? So uh, it cost me about 500 bucks to get like 30 rolls of microfilm, which covered the entire American League records from 1905 until 1973 or four, whatever year it was. So I was able to do that, get a microfilm reader, and at home I would, I must have spent hundreds of hours over like five years in the 70s going through these records 
doing home away performance for all the great players in the American League, Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Lou Gehrig, Walla Johnson, Cy Young, all these guys. Uh, if if I had done it from the newspaper or from the sporting news, it would have taken 10 times as long. But here you had a sheet with like 30 games on it. And uh, in the later years, they had the location of the game on the sheet. So I could just add up the guy's record. And uh, I think it took me like 20, 30 minutes to do one year's play for uh, one player, and uh, I published an article in the Sabre Journal in the 70s showing the results. There were some amazing, really amazing things that came out of it. Uh, Babe Ruth was a pitcher for the Red Sox, and in 1918, he started playing the outfield about halftime. In 1919, he was a full-time outfielder. He had 29 home runs in 1919, which was the most of any play in history up to that point. But it sort of got unnoticed was the fact that Fenway Park was a terrible park for home runs. And Ruth actually had 20 of his home runs on the road. And in 1918, playing outfield halftime, he led the league on homers with 11. But all 11 were away from Fenway Park. And that happened to be, unknown at the time, the all-time American League record for most home runs hit on the road. Because in those days, there were some parks that were very friendly. And the guys with high home run data in those years usually had a lot of home runs at home. So if you can believe this, in 1919... There were 13 home runs hit in Fenway Park the entire year by both teams. And Ruth had nine of them. Wow. No, I didn't know that. (laughs) So when he went to the Yankees in in 1920, you could actually predict that they would have hit 50 home runs because uh, the Yankees played in the polo grounds in those years, and the polo grounds, although not a particularly good Hitters Park, overall, it was a very good homeless park. And what I found was in 1920, Babe Ruth had 201 total bases and 204 times up in the polo grounds, which is a slugging percentage of 985, which is, you know... If you, if you look at on base plus slugging, <laughs> that's unbelievable. If you had it, look at on base plus slugging, you know, 700 is around average. And if you have 900, you're having a pretty good year. In the polo grounds in 1920, Ruth's on base slugging was 1,515. <laughs> well, that, you, you know, it's interesting. In the Wall Street Journal yesterday, there was an article on the Minnesota Twins, and supposedly they had made some analytical breakthrough about their ballpark that says if we can get guys to pull the ball at home, we will hit more runs, and that was the basis for their surge in, in home runs and, and 
in wins in 2019. Oh yeah. So so does that would well, that make sense? Oh you yeah, yeah. They, um, the ballparks are uh, taking advantage of, of your home park is is important. Although of course nowadays the parks are a lot sim- more similar than they used to be in the old days, but. Uh, you know, uh, getting back to Ruth, people sort of look at Yankee. The old, well, the old Yankee Stadium had a kind of a short porch on right field that was like 250 feet from home plate. And uh, but Yankee Stadium actually had a very deep right field if you didn't hit the ball right down the line. So uh, people got the idea that you know Ruth was really benefited from playing in Yankee Stadium because it had a short right field. But actually, Ruth hit just about he had about an average home park advantage. Typically, a player will have on base plus slugging about five percent higher at home for whatever reason, uh, familiarity, uh, being at home, or what whatever. And that was just about what Ruth had. And the other amazing thing about the home away study was that Lou Gehrig could not hit in Yankee Stadium, even though he was a left-handed batter. He hit about 5% worse at home, whereas the average guy would would have an on by slugging at 5% better. And in fact, for his career, Garrick batted 350 on the road, which is about like second to Ty Cobb for a batting average. And uh, in 1930, Garrick had 117 runs batted in in road games. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, no. That, yeah, I didn't know that. I I didn't know that about Lou Gehrig. So that that is. So that I is don't know. I I'm just thinking. You know, maybe because of his disease, he was kind of uh, a little slow. So he, he he maybe he just couldn't get around the ball. So he couldn't take advantage of the of Yankee Stadium, and he looked like Joe DiMaggio in Yankee Stadium. And DiMaggio was a righty, and uh, DiMaggio was about 5% worse. Or No, DiMaggio was about 7% worse at home, whereas, as I said, the average player would be 5% better in OPS. But Garrett was right down next to him. So... <laughs> Now on the on the microfilm that you got on these games, were were there more detail than just the box score where you could tell where the ball was hit? Uh, no, but they they did have walks and strikeouts and uh, stuff like that. But uh, no, the uh, retro sheet has been keeping track of. Well, actually, actually, it all started with the project score sheet uh, when Bill was doing his. Uh, Bill James was doing his. Uh, baseball abstract he wanted to get data on like uh, home away batting and left right batting and stuff and i was working as a consultant to sports information center which was the american league statistical bureau they were the first people to do computerized stats in 1973 and uh 
So he wrote in to get uh, if we could help him with anything. And it turns out they had a report with home away and left right for all the teams. So I just sent him all the data. But Elias, who did the National League, wouldn't send him anything. So he decided, you know, he's got 100,000 readers out there to set up a thing called Project Score Sheet, where it would be a grassroots organization that would collect detailed data on games from TV, usually, or the park, but for the most part, it was done on TV, and they would record um, balls and strikes and uh, hit locations. They divided the field up into like 50 squares, and you could you could uh, do a location, and also whether it was hit hard or soft. And so that started in 1984, and... Um, by 1988, they were collecting hit locations on almost everybody. So uh, when RetroSheet was set up originally by Dave Smith to collect play-by-play data of games before 1984, and um, he had very good success with the teams. It took him a while to work with some of them, but he was able to collect scorebooks from every team but the problem was that the teams didn't really have it back that far for instance uh, I helped out on the Red Sox and the Red Sox first kept uh, scorebooks in 19 that they saved in 1968 and most of the teams didn't go much before that but at any rate uh, the hit location data from 1988, which is, what, 30 years now, we have that. Before then, uh, uh, they don't have it. I know it's funny. The, the major leagues never kept scorebooks. All they kept was box scores. So the, the microfilm, it was basically an expanded box score, as I said, where you had... Uh, uh, walks and strikeouts and uh, batter's face pitcher and sacrifice hits allowed on all the minor categories. But there was nothing. There was nothing about play-by-play in the official league stats for the American League or the National League. But oh, Smith got most of his, well, he got whatever he could from the clubs. And then the, some of the writers and broadcasters would keep books. But, uh, you know, if you're broadcasting a game, uh, your, your scorebook can get a little bit sloppy <laughs> because it's not your, it's, it's yeah. not your main uh, operation. But the newspapers, at least up until the 40s, uh, a lot of newspapers had play-by-plays on them. As time went on, because of, uh, you know, more interest in football and basketball and other sports, the sports sections stopped carrying play-by-plays of the games. But uh, So it was harder to get a play-by-play of the game from the 60s than it would be for the 30s, because in the 30s you might have four or five newspapers and you get a, 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 probably one or two of them at least would carry a play-by-play of the previous, game, previous day's games. But... 
at any rate, uh, they were able to, as I said, to get play-by-play of every game back in 1941 and, and you know, thousands and thousands of games before then. And uh, they also computerized box scores. And so, as I was saying, uh, on the home and away, you know, I, I, I spent hundreds of hours collecting that data. And uh, now... Thanks to RetroSheet, uh, I wrote a program in about an hour and ran it on the RetroSheet files, and I could get home and away data for every player in baseball history for 120 years in <laughs> in a matter of minutes. So, so that's quite a quite a change from. Uh, from the old microfilm and punch card days. In fact, most people don't even know what a punch card is. I know. I, I have a lot of respect for, for, for anyone that started uh, loading punch cards into the uh, card loader and ever might have dropped their cards or had their program go out of order. So I, I remember those days. Yeah, it was, was funny because about- we had a guy from Harvard who had written some programs back in the 60s on satellites. And he want, he was looking for a card reader so he could read his cards in and get a tape image of them. Sure. And uh, since we were had this dedicated computer that was simulating what was happening in Alaska with the Russian missile shot, we had one of the few working card readers that was still in existence. So he brought his cards over and ran, and ran them through and got copies of all the programs that he had written years ago. Well, you collected about, you said about 100,000 cards on, on players. What was your sources for a lot of that? Was it all microfilm or did you have to scour the sporting news, old newspapers? Well, what, yeah. How did you put that initial database together? Well, I started out with a baseball guide and... Uh, They would have the for the season. I, the stuff I was doing was just for season. I never did game by game. That was the uh, project score sheet and, and register sheet. But um, oh, okay, I I see, I see. That that helps me a little bit because I was wondering how you 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 put the total season yeah, right. together for the players. I got, I got. Yeah, you. yeah. So, uh, but what happens is uh, if you go back in the baseball guides in the '30s and '40s, they didn't list complete data on players in less than 10 games or less than 15 games or whatever it was. So I had to dig that out of the microfilm. And uh, the uh, National League had a set of microfilm at the Hall of Fame. So I used to go out to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown and uh, get the National League data off their microfilm, and then I could do the American League data at home. But uh, if you go back far enough, then uh, some stats weren't even kept. For, well, uh, like batters hit by pitch uh, were kept from 19, started in 1920 in the American League, and in the National League it was uh, 1917, I think. And so if you wanted to do batter hit by pitch, you had to go to the newspapers. And 
and uh, there were other things uh, like wild pitches and box. If you go back into the 19th century, and uh, cotch fielding was only started in 1920, also, and for some reason, the National League decided to drop cotch fielding in 1926. And they didn't pick it up again until 1951. So there's 25 years of cotch stealing that's missing from the National League because they just didn't, didn't bother to keep it. But huh. th- th- thanks to uh, Dave Smith and Retrosheet, though, and their play-by-play analysis, they've got 1941 to 50 now covered. And, uh, you know, they're working on the 30s. But, but yeah, I had to do uh, pass balls from catches, I remember. And the, the American League dropped caught stealing in 1927 for some reason. But they picked it up again in 1928, so there was only one year missing. So, uh, well, Sabre is really a great outfit to help on research because you, if you have a project where you're trying to dig up data from various newspapers, not so much now because there's more more available on the internet back, say, in the, in the 70s, uh, you really needed a network of people across the country who could go to the local library and look stuff up um, there. So we got uh, 10 or 15 people together and created the 1927 American League caught stealing data that was missing. There was a guy named Ernie Lanigan who was a super statistician in the 20s and before. In fact, he is credited with inventing runs batted in, and he kept runs batted in on his own from 1907 to 1919. And he kept trying to get the league to do it, but they didn't want to do it, and they finally did it in 1920. So he he has data from 1907 to 1919 that nobody else had, and the Sporting News and everybody would use his data. But then when in in 1969 the Macmillan Encyclopedia came out, which was a fantastic book, and one of the things they did was to go to the newspapers and get. Runs batted in, not back to 1907, but back to 1876. And uh, they also did pitcher earn run average. The earn run average was compiled first in 1912 in the National League and 1913 in the American League. So they went back and and uh, created the uh, earn run average for pitchers back to 1876 also. Yeah, because that the amount of work to go back and 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 try to fill all those holes, I just don't think a lot of people give give due credit for that. It's uh, it, it's an amazing amount of work. Oh yeah, well, David Neff was the inspired uh, leader of the group of people who were doing all that stuff with the Macmillan Encyclopedia, uh, and. Uh, you know, they must have made some guesses in there, but uh, there was a guy named Sam Thompson who was an uh, outfielder for the Phils in the eight, 1880s and 1890s. And 
he was quite a hitter, but a lot of the stats were missing, especially runs batted in. So uh, I think uh, the fact that they dug up that data helped him get elected to the Hall of Fame. Of course, he had already passed away by then, but at least uh, he did get the credit for it. And, and I find it fitting that you're a recipient of the Henry Chadwick Award as well, aren't you, for your work? Well, the Chad, yeah, the Chadwick Award, it's, it's not really an award. It's kind of a group. And uh, the first year, they elect, it's Henry Chadwick Society, and they, they selected uh, about eight or ten people for the honor, and since then they've uh, they've been adding two or three people a year, and so it's 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 more of a group thing. Now, one thing I wanted to get to clear up that was bugging me your your initial database is the is essentially what's now the Lehman database, the Sean Lehman database, or did he build on that, or did he just did he just take your work? Well, I think he must have done something to it. But uh, Sean Foreman at uh, Baseball Reference started with the Lehman database, and he just expanded it terrifically. Uh, and it, it's it's just a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful asset. But I do help him out. <laughs> I do help. I do help him out with it. So uh, he, I think he gave me some credit for it. But uh, you know, uh, okay, good. That's good. Um, when uh, John Thorne was publishing Total Baseball, and it was it was a little bit. They they had to do a bit of work to find a publisher every year, and then. They ended up making a deal with an outfit in North Carolina to form Total Sports. This was uh, the late 90s. And um, Was that with Gary Gillette, if I remember correctly? Well, Gary was in there too, yes. And okay, um, okay. they um, were working on collecting data in real time um, on major league games uh, to put on the internet. And in fact, uh, Dave Smith and Registry was involved because they had programs written to process the play-by-play data on a seasonal basis. And it wasn't really that much harder to do it on a, in a real-time basis by just spitting out uh, the data as you were doing it. And so Total Sports... Uh, got uh, John and they took my database and Gary's uh, Gary, okay, what happened was Project Scorsi uh, Bill James and John Dewan took off to join my friend Dick Kramer at Stats and Gary was left to keep Project Scorsi going and um, so we all got together and got into Total Sports and they, they just, they, they just couldn't really get it going, and so what 
happened was they took the whole package and sold it to Major League Baseball for a million bucks. And that's what MLB Advanced Management is now. So MLB, MLB Advanced Management ended up getting a copy of my database, which is what you get to see when you go to (laughs) MLB.com. Oh, wow. You've touched uh, all your database has been around the block a few yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all <laughs> over the net. But as I said, Sean Foreman has been very very uh, appreciative of my contribution. So I'm uh, I'm happy that he he has done that. What do you think's the kind of the most advanced uh, sports analytics companies out there that are doing the most interesting stuff from your perspective? Well. Uh, I mean, obviously, MLBAM, which is, it's not owned by, it's it's an independent company, but it's it's sort of owned as a by a, as a group by the the teams, and uh, Tom Tango, a buddy of mine, is kind of like the chief analyst there, and you know they're doing all this graphical stuff. It's really amazing. Uh, they have very detailed information on every batted ball, and they've developed a formula for catch probability based on where the fielder was and how high the ball was hit and how high it was and what what's the probability of a particular uh, of an average player. Uh, catching that ball and then they keep track of well how many times did he actually catch it and it was that higher or lower than average so every alpha and and uh, they're they're doing infielders now too so every outfielder and infielder can have a rating of the number of balls that he had an opportunity to catch and what the average probability of catch was, and then how many did he actually get? And uh, so somebody might be like 10 or five balls better than average. If you look at that in terms of uh, runs, a hit is worth like plus half a run, and an out is like minus a quarter of a run. So every out you get that somebody else wouldn't have got is worth about three quarters of a run. So if you if you got uh, twelve balls over the course of the season that somebody else wouldn't have got, that would be twelve times three quarters, which is about one win. Are those defensive ratings theirs? Do they like sell those? Or no, they they're available those, or? on the internet. Okay, so so they they do share that information. Yeah, now see John DeWan, like John that. DeWan and his baseball information solutions just doing similar stuff, and uh, they've done a lot of work on fielding. Uh, DeWan has fielding data back into the nineties, and it's a it's a similar thing. It's plus or minus runs, and uh, they do it by by actually uh, 
it's off. I, they do it off the TV, but the uh, which is not as good as what Bama's doing. But you know, they Bama's a lot more money and a lot more uh, ability to get sophisticated tracking things. Uh, for instance, uh, Tom showed me a thing where they look at the outfielder and the ball, and the ball is hit. They measure how quick he reacts to the ball, what path he takes, how long it takes him to take the path, whether it's the best path or not the best path, and whether he catches it at the end. So, uh, you know, theoretically, if you looked at a guy and said, well, he doesn't get a good enough jump on the ball, but he's really fast getting there, then... uh, the coaches could work with him to improve his jump, right? Yeah, and I assume they're driving a lot of that off of StatCast data? Oh, yeah, StatCast, right, system? yeah. Okay. Right. I think. Um, so uh, I'm not sure how that intera- interacts with the teams, but since the teams own the company, I would think they would have all that data available to them. Yeah, because that, that would be interesting. I've started to see some broadcast displays where they're trying to do that kind of calculation in real time where they're generating the percentage probability to catch that ball. It sounds like something similar to what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, you know, I, I, I saw that they've been doing that on football, which football is a little different from baseball because – the outfielder doesn't have some guy trying to knock him down while he's going down to catch the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's another dynamic, isn't you know, it? <laughs> you know, so I'm not sure if, it, if you can really apply it in the same way as you do to baseball, uh, but I have seen it on TV. Uh, but, you know, um, I developed a rudimentary fielding rating because – for total baseball, uh, and for the hidden game of baseball, uh, you're right. See, after after we did hidden game of baseball, John got a, a uh, John Thorne got a, the contract to do a total baseball, which included a lot of the tools we had developed in the first book in the encyclopedia. And I wanted to have a fielding rating in there, and uh, at the time, which was uh, the late 80s, um, we didn't have all these current metrics that make things so much more accurate. So I had to, I just developed a very simple formula, which is put outs plus two assists minus errors plus double plays per inning played, and then you sub- subtract out the strikeouts and, and so you just left with the non-strikeout outs, and then I um, I made an adjustment for the left and right-handed pitching because the more left-handed pitchers you have on a team, the more because of platooning you're going to get more right-handed batters, and uh, a right-handed batter is more apt to hit a ground ball to the third baseman or the first baseman. Strangely enough. Right-handed batters make more outs to right field than they do to left field. And and that's because if if they hit the ball hard, 
it's probably going to go to left field, but it's not going to be as easy to catch. Whereas if they don't hit the ball so hard, uh, it's you know if they're a little behind the pitch or something, uh, it's going to go to right field. And in fact, a fly ball—it's pretty hard to hit a fly ball and not have it be an out if it's not a home run because the outfielders have time to get under it. Whereas if you hit a line drive, you know, 90-plus percent of fly balls that aren't home runs are caught. But like 50% of line drives are caught. So, so uh, yeah, that, it's, that tells you something right Yeah, there. but anyway, so I came up with this formula, and I applied it back to 1871. And, um, you know, it's 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 really not that accurate because you don't have you don't have the you, you really don't have the because we don't have the hit location fact that far you don't really know the number of opportunities that a fielder have all you know is the number of chances he got and the number of errors he made but i think i think it's it's fairly reasonable and um started in uh, let's see 15, yeah, he started about 15 years ago doing his stuff. So they have this accurate back to the mid-90s. But uh, Derek Jeter, who is a near-unanimous Hall of Famer, was was a good hitter for a shortstop. But his feeling was atrocious. And I calculated out that he, his feeling over the course of his career was a negative 375 runs, which is, wow. is about 20 runs a year. So that means he actually cost his team about two wins a year for his fielding. And, um, When he started, that was before Dewan was doing his stuff. So Dewan only has his ratings for the, for the last two thirds of his career, but it agrees pretty much with mine. And there's a guy, Michael Humphreys, who wrote a book called um, "Amazing" about fielding and wizardry, wizardry about fielding and. He came up with like minus 350 for Jeter. So I, I, it, 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 it's not great because it, it makes some assumptions about uh, the number of chances you might have gotten to. But uh, I think it's pretty good. And um, so I write. Well, it's interesting because I think, I think most people would think are, are their memories of Jeter is he was good defensively, so that's that's interesting. Yeah, I know. He won five. He, yeah. he won five gold gloves. <laughs> I know. So you say, how can the word and uh, you know? I'm sure there are some extenuating circumstances that I'm not taking into account that make him not that bad, but. Uh, 
because uh, there's a Sean Smith. Is, if you if you go to Baseball Reference and look at a player page, there's a column for fielding. And what they did was they used Dewan's data back into the mid '90s, and then before that, there's a guy named Sean Smith who came up with a fielding rating based on sort of like mine, based on on just the available statistics with all these other modern things that you, you can't apply back then. And uh, if you look at Sean's data, it's not as negative as Duan's data. But I think that's mainly because he just didn't have the information. You know, so if you look at if you look at uh, Jeter's fielding based on the combination of Sean Smith and Dewan, he gets up minus two hundred and forty, which is not as bad as minus three hundred seventy five, <laughs> but it's still <laughs> but it's still it's still still not that great. <laughs> well, Pete, I'm getting we're near the, we're near the end. I I want to ask you one one question to to give advice to future baseball researchers out there, what interesting problems are left that you would like to see people go tackle over the next 10 years? And what advice would you give those researchers? Oh, geez. <laughs> I, 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 it's a good question. <laughs> uh, but I don't, I don't think I have that great an answer. Uh, I mean, certainly uh, Fielding was the main problem up until recently, and uh, they're still working on it, but uh, I think what they're doing now is pretty damn good. I mean, I I can't imagine uh, when they end up analyzing all the stuff that they have now with the well, one like one of the things I was interested in was positioning because, you know, if you get a lot of a lot of balls, some of it would be because you started in the right place, and uh, so if you track the position, they keep that they know where you are when the ball was set. So the idea would be to try to figure out well. Where did you move from the last guy for this guy, and did you end up being in a better position than you would have been if you'd just stayed in the normal place? I'm sure if you plotted various outfielders, some of them would move around a lot more than others. Of course, the coaches do this also, but you could look at it on a team basis, but... You know, so you, you you plot the position compared to where a normal one would be, and then, well, did that help you or hurt you? And I haven't seen anything on that yet, but I'm sure they're close to being able to mm-hmm. to figure that out. No, that would be that 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 is a good that would be an interesting one to go after. But you're right with all the Statcast data they have today. It still seems, based on the amount of data I've seen coming out of StatCast, for years to come, the interesting problems that you might be able to solve with that 
I, I don't see any end in sight, uh, unless you do. Or you think most of these guys have their arms around it? Well, they, yeah, they, um, Tom Tangus is doing a great job, and uh, of course the the uh, the individual teams have hired their own people, and uh, I'm sure uh, they might be less apt to let the public know what they're doing. <laughs> We're trying to get trying to get a competitive advantage, so so it's prob probably there's probably a lot going on that people don't know about it because of the proprietary uh, situation. But I, I, I would think I would think they would have enough data to pretty much nail the fielding stuff and. Uh, well, of course, another thing that I worked on was clutch hitting, which is say it doesn't exist. It's just, uh, it's just it, you have good hitters and bad hitters, but you don't have clutch hitters, it, you know. Uh, but that that's another subject. I think there's still some disagreement about that. Oh, yeah, and the, also the, the, uh, the outs out per balls in play where some people think that the fielders should get all the credit and once the ball is hit, the pitcher has no control over whether the ball is a hit or not, which I think is false. And that uh, a good pitcher will allow balls to be hit that have a higher catch probability because they aren't hit so hard. And uh, so there, there seems to be some difference of opinion on that. Uh, so I don't think, uh, well, you know, they were going to close the patent office in 1900 because everything had been invented, right? <laughs> so, That's a good point. <laughs> good point. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't think there's a, I think we're near nearer the, uh, the ultimate in baseball than we are in science. Well, that's, of course, of course, that's good. That's the, there's, there's other things like physical conditioning and, uh, things like that, which I never really tried to, uh, you know, people have that, they have the ideas on what, what, what exercises you you should do to keep in good shape for pitching. And, uh, you know, pe people argue about that. And so that, that's a little less, uh, straightforward, but I mean, you know, trying to evaluate how good a hitter is, or how good a pitcher is, is I think nowadays pretty well understood. And fielding is getting there. So, uh, um, now everything else is probably interesting is proprietary. Well, you know, Pete, I tell you, this was a heck of a walk back in history. Well, well more than I expected. And well, I knew it'd be interesting. I just didn't think it would be this interesting. And I can't thank you enough for, you know, taking an, a little over an hour and a half of your day on a Saturday to talk to everybody about it. I, I found it uh, fascinating and interesting. I can't wait to go listen to this again because <laughs> <laughs> there was so much information in there. It was just, it, 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 was, it was super interesting, and I really can't thank you enough. Okay, well, I enjoyed it. Uh, they do call me from time to time, but not too often. So, uh, but uh, when I get going, I can usually have to do something to knock me off. 
Well, if you don't mind, maybe maybe again I could give you a call and we could keep going. Oh yeah, sure. That that'll be great. So uh, I hope you enjoy it, and I hope your uh, your listeners enjoy it. Thank you so much, Pete, and have a great okay, day. Okay, bye.